0: This is a VOW FM special, special broadcast. broadcast. The COVID
1: Report Show, Monday to Thursday from six to seven PM, exclusive to VOW FM eighty-eight point one. Here it. to the COVID report here on Power FM 88.1. We thank you one more time for joining us. Just a quarterback is for you as far as who Clinics Health Group are. They were established in 1992 to provide trusted and quality health care to the communities in which it was located. The Clinics Health Group has therefore been committed to the vision of quality health care for the majority of South Africa's citizens since 1992. Which, if you'd like to add a bit more, uh, a bit more context to to, to, to to how many years we're talking, that's uh, that, that 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 I was I was I was uh, I was a single-digit-aged human being back then, and that's all I'm going to say because I'm not here to expose my age. Now, after 26 years, the group now owns and manages six hospital facilities within Gauteng and the Northwest, with current plans in motion for the development and construction of a seventh hospital, namely the Dr. Ntato Wukana Memorial Hospital in Protea Glen out in Soweto. Now, the group also plans to open its first day hospital in the center of Johannesburg, which is the GM Paiki Day Hospital. CHG is investing millions of rands to ensure that its facilities remain world sous class. The group continues to make a contribution not only to the communities it serves, but to the healthcare industry as a whole by establishing its own network of hospitals in the communities that it serves. The Clinics Health Group has been able to provide specialist doctors the ideal base from which to operate. And since its establishment, Clinics has been able to contribute to job creation in the communities in which they are based. And in this regard, 95% of all nursing, cleaning, and, and, and administrations Are community based members with over 90% of them being female. We've invited uh, the clinics healthcare group to chat to us about the role that the private sector has and will continue to have as we continue to deal with the effects of not only the the outbreak, but the effects of this lockdown and how we continue to navigate um, this very, very trying time that we're all caught in all over the globe. And I'm very, very honored to be joined by the Deputy CEO of the Clinics Healthcare Group, Dr. Dumani Kula, joining me here on the COVID report. Good evening and welcome to you, sir.
0: Good evening, uh, again, and uh, Good evening to your listeners.
1: Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for taking the time um, to join us. Now, I'd like to I'd like to start this conversation, um, Doctor, by getting a sense of, of of how of how the partnership between the Clinics Healthcare Group and the Gauteng Department of Transport came about. I, I know that I didn't allude to it in that intro, but I do. I am aware of the fact that there are plans in place for collaboration between these two entities, and I'd like you to give us to start by give us some insight as to how that um, collaboration came about.
0: That partnership is actually already in place, and uh, we are working with the Department of Transport under the leadership of MEC Mamabulo and uh, and all the taxi operators in our areas. And really, the premise of the partnership is that because of our, our hospitals are embedded in communities, and certainly from a healthcare point of view, we are pretty much frontline, and uh, we are often, you know, the first port of call for communities with respect to healthcare services in the communities um, that we serve. And so, uh, because of that, uh, you know, intimacy between our hospitals and the communities, uh, both our staff members as well as um, um, uh, patients who are looking to access our facilities, they heavily rely on the public uh, transport system. So we thought it would be uh, appropriate for us to work very closely with them to make sure that both the patients as well as um, the staff members, and of course the broader public that is they continue to use the the, 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 tran- the, the text services that, you know, Uh, that we can do it as uh, as safe as possible. Of course, we know that over the last week or so, there have been a lot of uh, discussions around how many people are allowed uh, in the taxis and uh, whether they should be wearing masks or or not. And uh, so what we've done, really is to uh, uh, come side by side, work with the Department of Transport, work with the taxi operators on a number of levels. So one of the things that we have done is that uh, to help with the process of uh, keeping um, our hands clean and continuing to wash them, we've given out uh, thousands of liters of sanitizers uh, that are being used in the in the in the taxi in the texas and we've also given out uh, some personal protective equipment in the form of um, gloves, you know, that um, that are being used out there. And then, uh, I think uh, more importantly, we've also been distributing a lot of uh, educational materials. You know through the taxi system just to make sure that the public and the communities at large you know are, are, are adequately educated about what to do um, about the virus and what the virus is etc cetera, etc cetera. and more in the last step, day or two we've also secured a partnership working with the outsurance uh, appointment and we've also been training them because and, and we're getting them to be also uh, uh, used now in the taxi ranks just to help with some of the education, uh, certainly some of the chewing uh, uh, processes that are taking place uh, within the, the, the taxi areas. So uh, quite a number of things that we've been doing with the Department of Transport. And as I said, really for us, it's, it's just a natural extension of what we do because we're already embedded in the communities. In fact, most of our hospitals are either, you know, uh, very close to the Taxi ranks, or are pretty much on the main roads of the communities that, that we serve, and that's really deliberate because we're just making sure that we are as accessible as possible to the
1: communities. Absolutely, I think I, I, I think we can both agree that this is all coming in the wake of an unprecedented scenario not just for us as a country, I think, but for everyone around the world. And a lot has been made about the the very unique situation that we're all in across the world. And a lot has been made about how various uh, leaders, world leaders all across the globe have um, dealt with this outbreak. And when it comes, when, when we bring it closer to home and we talk about how we are doing on our own soil, I think I've, I've, I've been very appreciative of the wealth of Different perspectives that have been given whenever I ask people, uh, what do you make of, of, of how the government and our leaders have, have dealt with um, this outbreak? The, the moves they've made, the, the rules that they've put in place, the regulations that they've put in place. And the, the, the answers and the feedback to that has been very, very been varied." Let me put it that way. It has it has it has highs, it has lows, it has different perspectives um, from from every corner of the populace. Now, when we talk about when 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 we talk about uh, how the leaders and the people in charge, that the people that we that were elected in charge and put in these positions of power have uh, dealt with this very, very unprecedented situation, as I alluded to earlier. I'm curious to find out from you as to what you have made of the efforts that have been put in place and whether or not you are optimistic that these efforts will help um, put this virus under control in this country.
0: So, game uh, I mean, it's a, uh, I think you are spot on. This is probably one of the worst, uh, you know, crisis that we have had globally. And, uh, and and i think the challenge with uh, you know when when things happen within the healthcare system or they affect uh, you know the health of the population is that it has got ripple effects you know across um, you know uh, different sectors and i think i think it's quite evident even in our country now that uh, you know despite that we actually have um, you know less than 2000 the people who are confirmed to have this uh, virus out of a population of almost 60 million. Pretty much the country has ground to a halt, you know, and that really just talks to the potency of uh, impacts, you know, that come from, you know, uh, from a health uh, point of view. The last time, you know, the world dealt with something of this magnitude uh, was uh, just a little over 100 years ago in 1918 with another pandemic flu. Uh, that took place back then. And, and that one, you know, it, um, it happened over three years. Uh, 50 million uh, people across the world, you know, died as a result uh, of that uh, pandemic. And so, um, in a way, uh, we, these uh, things do not happen. Unfortunately, they do not happen all the time, but when they do, they can have devastating, um, you know, consequences on, on lives, as well as livelihoods, on um, economies, on societies, And I think uh, we should uh, brace ourselves, you know, that uh, after um, COVID, uh, life is never going to be the same Uh, again. I think this, in a way, is going to be something that changes how uh, life, uh, business, and how health systems are shaped, not only locally, but but globally. So I I think it's fair to say this is a very complicated uh, problem that we are dealing with. I'm sure uh, your listeners, have heard that uh, you know that the Prime Minister of uh, of, of the UK is uh, himself in hospital in intensive care, being looked after after having contracted uh, the virus. Many other world leaders, you know, have been exposed, um, you know, to this. So really, this is uh, no child's play. It's a very complex thing to manage. You will know that uh, even uh, big powerhouses like the US, they are struggling really. Uh, with uh, how uh, to contain the spread of the virus, I think they are now approaching about 400,000 people um, in their population. 400, uh, 400,000 um, people that have got um, uh, the the virus uh, in in that part of the world, and they, I think by far the largest number of people now who have got uh, the infection are in the U.S. and they are supposedly you know being uh, one of the global powerhouses. So this really the virus no age it doesn't know economic or social status it's very very complicated and i think when we look um, internally in our country uh, of course we are not uh, we are not spared we are part of that global system uh, fortunately we've had a couple of weeks you know um, to to prepare because this thing it started in china and then it uh, made waves uh, across europe and then eventually into the americas and uh, I think Africa in a way was one of the last uh, regions you know to be here so we had in a way uh, two to three weeks of a, of a head start to make sure that we are a bit better prepared and also it also gives us the you know the advantage of being able to learn uh, just from watching what other health systems have done but also being able to learn actually from the lessons you know, that they are able to share um, last week Friday there was um, there was a, a video conference between top officials in China and our officials uh, exactly on these matters, just so that we can learn in detail in terms of what they did, the do's and don'ts. And so I think we've got a bit of an advantage in in that respect. Of course, it happens uh, for our country at a time where the economy itself is not in good shape. As you know, before even coronavirus uh, hit, the economy was struggling. We had already registered two uh, uh, quarters of, uh, of contraction in the economy, and then um, in the last week or two, we then got uh, you know uh, the global rating agencies also downgrading us. So, uh, so it, it really it's, uh, it's an unfortunate time, you know, for it to happen because uh, our economy, in a way, doesn't really have a lot of uh, reserves. We, we we've kind of been on the edge because of all the political and the economic. Uh, issues that we've been dealing with over the last uh, couple of years. Um, but I think one should commend the response, uh, firstly from uh, the, the, the political leadership in the country. I think the president has been leading uh, that charge quite um, excellently, and then we commend him and his uh, and, and, and cabinet uh, colleagues. And how they have uh, tackled this. I think it's been very clear in terms of the message and the interventions that needed uh, to happen, and they've uh, really executed the, that quite well. So I think we, looking at what the government has done, the Minister of Health, the MECs, I think there's lots of uh, good work that has been done. You would have seen the states also that, you know, uh, although there's a bit of caution that it looks like. You know, we may be having some, um, you know, a good progress in the last uh, a week or so with respect to the number of uh, people that have been detected to have um, the, the infection. So we hope that that trend uh, sustains. Of course, the private sector itself, of which we are part of, is a very big part of the healthcare system, and we've also been working very closely with government, working very closely with the National Institute of Communicable Diseases, just to make sure that we are all aligned that the entire health system is uh, ready and i think there has been a lot of goodwill, and uh, you know that has been uh, that has come through from both a uh, private and a uh, health sector but also other sectors in the private uh in, in 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 the private space that really people have just come together and uh, and and joined hands you know so that we make sure that at all parts of the system whether it's about testing or about uh, detecting and and, and uh, you know uh, patients who may uh, need uh, who may have been exposed or whether it's about the actual preparation um, of uh, our hospitals with ventilators ICUs etc i think there's a lot of work that has been done and that work is being done collaboratively so i, I think there's a lot you know um that has been done uh, you would have seen uh, last uh, yesterday we uh, the country received a big shipment of uh, personal protective equipment. That was work that was being done between the private sector and the public sector, and so and and you can expect more and more of this to come through over the next couple of days as we just make sure that we are adequately prepared to wage the war against COVID-19.
1: You touched on it earlier. Um, but just uh, just to just to hop back on that, we we, we briefly um, covered the numbers, and I think it's it's uh, I, I, the the thing that I appreciate about these daily stats that we that we are fed by uh, Dr. Zuli Kize and all of the lovely people working under under his auspices and being committed to giving us updates on the number of confirmed cases, the number of recoveries, the number of fatalities, as it pertains to how we are dealing with the outbreak. I think it's it's reflective of it's reflective of the measurements uh, or the decisiveness of the measurements that these various world leaders are taking. I mean, for example, if we look at um, the United States, like you rightly said, over four hundred thousand people confirmed with uh, COVID 19 401,600 and- Eight, to be exact, with uh, recoveries just over th- 22,000 and uh, fatalities just under 13,000 out in the United States of America. I think that is reflective of the, of, of the, the, the very contentious and very, very, I'm, I'm struggling to find the words, but this idea that, the, that, that, that the, there's, a, there's a very, very thin line In the sand between those who believe that President Donald Trump has done amazingly in uh, leading his country through dealing with the outbreak, and those who believe that they haven't, and I think when it comes to when it comes to our numbers now, just of just over one thousand seven hundred people confirmed uh, with the COVID nineteen virus, I think a lot of the earlier chatter that I didn't particularly like, in especially in the early parts of the lockdown. Uh, where, where where people would go on social media and say, oh, no, the government isn't giving you the real numbers. I do remember covering this on the show um, in previous weeks, where people would go on social media and say, oh, I don't believe that the government is giving us the real numbers of confirmed cases. I think they're hiding something. And my response to that would be, well, then if you, if, if you know something that we don't, either tell us the information that... That you know, that you feel is being hidden by the people that are hiding it, or just keep quiet because you're not doing anything um, as far as advancing our our cause. You're not doing anything to help us deal and 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 keep this and and, and keep a lid on this outbreak. All you are doing is fanning the flames of. Of, of of mass hysteria and panic which is the last thing that we need during this time so i think when we look at the numbers i i without w- without stoking any conspiracy theory muscles in you doctor <laughs> but i do i, I do I, I would like to get a sense as to as as to where you stand as far as the accuracy of the numbers that we are being given and 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 whether and and whether or not the trends that we are seeing in the increases and the decreases here and there are indicative of of how of how well if we are dealing with this outbreak well at all um if that's an, if that's if the numbers are an indication of how well we are doing as far as dealing with the outbreak
0: so game um i mean um there are lots of conspiracy theories out there. I think the one thing that I'm uh, quite confident you know, about is that I think in our country, the, our system, uh, you know, or our political system, really, it's, it's such that there's a lot of transparency. And, uh, and I think you will have uh, also seen that through just how government has been regularly updating. I think pretty much on a daily basis we're being updated in quite detail in terms of uh, what we're dealing with. And how the government is uh, inter- is intervening. Uh, there are two three hour press conferences that uh, cabinet uh, members are, are hosting. And I think also because uh, there is quite a strong um, you know uh, 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 a, a, a form here of collaboration between the private and the public, and uh, between providers of healthcare, policymakers. Um, you know, I think there's. Because there is such a large group of people who are involved, I think even if government wanted to be, I think it would just it would just be impossible you not know, to be um, you know to be hiding anything you know, about uh, about uh, the, the, exactly what uh, is happening. The reality, though, is that what we must bear in mind is that when we are saying that there are 1,700 people who have uh, tested positive, it's really to the extent that we have tested people. You know, so this is really the number of people who are confirmed, you know, uh, to have uh, the the COVID-19. So I think there is a feeling that we may be missing uh, a lot more uh, people. I think the true extent of that, we really don't know. And that's why in the last week or so, there's been a big push to get, um, you know, this 10,000 filled force, you know, to, to make sure that we can test as many people as possible, and the focus really is to go into some of the hotspots in our country and to make sure that we can test uh, in um, in large numbers, you know, uh, and uh, widely. Most of the tests that have been done currently have been in the private sector, and so the push now is to make sure that uh, that we can do um, a more test broadly, of course, because The tests that have been done in the private sector are predominantly for people who uh, were sick, people who are also a bit more affluent, have got the resources, they went to be tested. And, uh, And what we are not seeing really are the large numbers coming from the public sector or the publicly funded uh, patients, which is the large majority of uh, people who depend on the public uh, health service. So that's why we have to, all of us have got to support that push. We mobilizing uh, more tests, uh, you know, for the country and uh, we mobilize more people to be out there. So I think that work has to be supported to make sure that we have got accuracy of uh, exactly what uh, is happening because this is a scientific, a problem, you know, scientific problems have to be responded to scientifically, and that requires a lot of data that we have to collect to understand what we are dealing with, where where are the hotspots, and uh, whether our interventions are working or not, and you know, so and all of that. So, I think that's where we are again,
1: absolutely. And I think it's also reflective of the roles that each of us have to play. We've we've covered the role that the private sector has to play at times like this and over the course of not only this show but i think over the course of the greater global conversation uh, pertaining to the effects of this outbreak a lot of a lot has been said about the various roles that different entities have to play a lot the, the different roles that different entities can play in helping um, each other deal with the effects of this outbreak. And I think finally, uh, from me to you, Dr. Kula, before I let you go for this evening, as it, when we talk about the roles that we can play, I think um, to give you this sort of two-slash-three-handed question to conclude our, our discussion, what do you think is the role of the academic community at a time like this. Do you think that the academic community has responded uh, to the call to be active during this time and a time like this quickly enough? And as far as the role that the greater South African populace has to play in our continued fight against COVID-19, what, can, what, what role can they play to assist the, to assist the fight?
0: Again, I think we are in a very fortunate position as a country. We have got a, a, quite a strong, uh, you know, uh, uh, academic uh, sector. Uh, we've also got quite a strong, uh, you know, um, research, you know, uh, um, base within the country. Uh, you will know that um, in many instances, when there have been uh, outbreaks of this nature uh, across the continent, you know, it has been actually. South Africa that has been at the forefront, you know, when there was the Ebola crisis in West Africa, it was South Africa that deployed its resources and technologies to be able to, to help, um, you know, um, uh, detect and, um, and and contain that particular problem. So I think we we should be proud of um, of the fact that we, we actually have got a lot of um, expertise within the country. And um, there was a, a recently announced um, in the last week or two, that there is a, a testing technology called uh, a GeneXpert, GeneXpert uh, that now is going to, is being rolled out in the U.S. We already have that technology in the country because we've been using it uh, to test uh, for TB, and uh, and we've got a quite a, a strong uh, you know focus because of our challenges with TB, HIV, and other infectious diseases. So I think there's a lot of expertise that we've built uh, in in the country, you know, and I think all of people it's really uh, I, I, what all I've seen is a hands on deck. I cannot tell you how many uh, conference calls I'm on uh, on a daily basis, you know, with uh, dozens and dozens of people from all sorts of uh, walks of life. And, and there are many others that I'm not that I'm aware of that I'm not participating in. But all of these are really, you know, uh, academics, you know, professionals, business people coming together just to make sure that. We are, you know, taking, taking all the things that we need to take during this time. So I think I'm, I'm on my side. I'm very impressed with how really all of those different categories of people within our South African context have come together during this time. I think on the public side, um, it's also been quite pleasing to see the vast majority of people have heeded the call, and I think. Uh, I think we should be I think, proud of that as a country. Of course, we know that there are instances where people have not listened, you know, uh, to the government um, uh, instructions around uh, staying at home. And I think the public have got a, a very important role to play uh, in that respect, you know, to just to make sure that we obey all the guidance, you know, about staying at home and uh, only going when it is absolutely uh, necessary. So I think we've we've done quite a lot of work. Of course, one must be very cautious here that. We are really at kind of the beginning of this, you know, um, of this uh, uh, epidemic, certainly with respect to South Africa. Um, and we are hoping that we can continue to strengthen all of our interventions. Uh, as of now, we haven't seen a lot of people who are hospitalized and, uh, and and hopefully there won't be many more. But our hospitals and certainly at clinics, all of our hospitals are gathered. We've ordered medical equipment. We've ordered more uh, pharmaceutical suppliers. We are getting more uh, personnel in the form of um, nurses in the specialized areas like ICU. We are, we've put out a call to doctors to come and support us just to make sure that should we need more hands on deck, that we have got all of those resources immediately available uh, for us. So really, uh, I think for me, all around, it's been a, a great effort, but it's still early days, all of us must keep going.
1: That is Deputy CEO of the Clinics Healthcare Group, Dr. Dumani Kula, chatting to us on the COVID report about the role not only that the private sector has to play in our continued efforts to fight the effects of the COVID-19 outbreak, but the roles that that hospitals have to play, the roles that the academic community has to play, the roles that the South African community um, as a whole can continue to play as we continue to deal with the effects of this outbreak. Doctor, thank you so much for a very eye-opening discussion and uh, thank you very much for the time. One more time.
0: Thank you, Game, and thank you to your listeners. Good evening.
1: That was the Deputy CEO of the Clinics Healthcare Group, Dr. Dumani Kula.
0: The COVID Report Show, Monday to Thursday, from 6 to 7 p.m. Exclusive to Power FM eighty-eight
1: point one. share it.